Welcome to the Crown Council Mentor of the Month podcast. I'm Stuart Anderson. Uh, this program, the Mentor of the Month, has been around as part of the Crown Council since the very beginning. Uh, that's because we believe that in order to copy genius, that you have to be willing to ask others. Uh, so in this episode, we asked uh, the genius of my dental CMO or my dental chief marketing officer and longtime resource member Christy Boltz to spend about an hour. So she spends about an hour with me um, explaining how to get the most out of a dental marketing budget. So this uh, Mentor of the Month can be viewed online. So Christy had a really nice set of slides that she moved me through from the annual event as well as uh, it can be listened to on our podcast. So both work. Uh, one thing I learned from Christy is that she is smart and very committed to her product and what she does. And did I also mention she's very smart. Uh, I learned a lot and some incredible tips on how to create a dental marketing plan. Uh, so hopefully you'll learn as much as I did. If you're new to Crown Council, we are an international association of leading dental teams. From the very beginning, the Crown Council has always been dedicated to seeking out what works best for practices in order to improve the quality of care in dentistry, and then we share those with each other. This program, this podcast and webinar is just one of many resources that we allow, uh, that, are, that are available to Crown Council members to use with their dental teams to help them build a culture of success. We believe that all dental teams need to be working to improve their culture through training and retraining together as a team. So hopefully you enjoy this webinar and this podcast. Uh, for more information on Crown Council, visit our website, www.crowncouncil.org. Thanks so much. Welcome to the Crown Council Mentor of the Month. This is Stuart Anderson. I'm excited to be joined by Mrs. Christy Boltz from My Dental CMO. Christy has been with the Crown Council for years now as a marketing expert, and I'm so excited to welcome her today. She's gonna to run through a presentation that was also given at the Crown Council annual event at the Lunch and Learn session. There were only about uh, 30 or 40 seats available to be inside the Lunch and Learn, so we thought it worthwhile to share and record this uh, presentation for the rest of the Crown Council. So I'm excited to welcome Christy. And I'm going to turn the time over to her to uh, spend the rest of the time talking about her marketing plan and what she does and her skills and wisdom. Uh, I'm just excited to kind of sit back and listen to her. So Christy, take it away. Well, hello, everybody. The good thing about a webinar instead of a lunch and learn is we can pass the message along to hundreds, if not thousands of people who continue to ask for marketing advice. Now, the bad news is at the annual event, if you were in the lunch and learn, you got a cupcake. So there are no cupcakes on today's webinar. And they were good. They were good cupcakes. <laughs> um, and so this, you know, it's March 20th. And, and typically when we, when we talk to doctors, uh, Stu, they fall into to two categories. There are people who, you know, come March 20th are saying to themselves, I probably should get a marketing budget together, right? And mm -hmm. then there are other people who are saying, you know, I have a marketing budget and, and I'm just not really sure what it's doing. I don't think there's too many members of the Crown Council that, that don't know what marketing is and that don't have some kind of idea of what they should be spending. So what we're going to focus on today is how to get the most bang for your buck out of that marketing budget. 
Um, more and more in today's day and age, the digital space is becoming more competitive. And so a lot of dentists have questions, you know, how much should I be spending on this? And if there's an unlimited money tree in your backyard, like I say, we do it all because it all works. It just works to varying degrees. Um, and so I always like to tell people at the end of the day, uh, we should just ask one question. Was the campaign profitable or not? Um, and, and sometimes in marketing, we kind of get a bad rap because nobody can clearly answer that question yes or no well it was kind of profitable depending on you know if you look at the number of new patients or the big cases we got or really i hope you come away from today's webinar very clearly knowing how to maximize the budget that you have and how to understand whether or not it was profitable um, and i like Stu, love to to ride bikes um, but on sundays we, we kind of have a schedule in our family, right? So there's church and then there's church of the big ring, AKA cycling, and then there's golf. And so I'll meet my husband and we'll play golf usually every after, Sunday afternoon. And here in Ohio, the course is not too crowded at that time. So we'll get a chance to walk together and spend a couple of hours. And golf is kind of funny. Um, and, and many of you play golf and know that there's really three ways to approach a golf course that you've never played before, okay? And some of you have traveled to some exotic locations to play golf and you get out there and go, okay, I have no idea what to do. So marketing is a lot like approaching a course that you've never played before. And the first way to do that is to simply, you know, show up at the course and, you know, you woke up and you had a great breakfast and you're on vacation and you brought your own clubs and you're feeling great and you get out there and you're like, I feel awesome. I'm just going to swing away at everything. And you're playing the course totally by how you feel. And we do that in marketing too, okay? We kind of show up to the office and we go, hey, we feel good. And, you know, this guy came in and he talked to me about these boosted Instagram posts and this is what we're doing and I feel good about it and we do it. And, and we don't look at any data at all. But we feel good. Feels we make good. a decision based on emotion, right? You ever made a decision solely based on emotion? Uh, yes. Yeah, we all have, okay? <laughs> and sometimes does it work? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes yeah. it works. Sometimes, you know, you, you kind of swing away and you think that you're going to be, you know, the next Justin Rose and your ball ends up in the woods and in a squirrel's mouth and you never see it again. Okay. So the other way, kind of the extreme opposite is to be a data junkie, right? You go to the course and you go early and you're like, okay, I got to get the course guide and maybe I'll drive around and I'm going to look at, you know, the pin placement. I'm going to look at the yardage. I'm going to look at the slope and I'm going to calculate that against my handicap. And I'm going to get out there and I'm going to stand on the hole. And really, I'm not even going to look down to see if I can see the tee because it says it's 250 yards and I know I can hit 220 and here I go. And so sometimes in golf and in marketing, we go only on data. Well, you know, according to this report that my web guy sent me, I, I didn't get a single phone call last month from my website. So I guess I should turn my website off. And, and sometimes people make that decisions. Now, data is good. Don't get me wrong. I'm a math nerd and data is great. But sometimes when we make decisions solely based on data, we sell ourselves short. And we'll talk a little more about that today. Sometimes we also make a decision based on the wrong piece of data. Okay. Very cool. So most practices say, hey, listen, I'm going to look at the hole in it. The hole says it's 350 yards. So I'm going to get out my driver. 
Well, what they neglect to look at is there's a creek 175 yards down. And if I only hit it that far, it's going to go in the creek. Doesn't matter, right? That happens in marketing too. The third way to play golf on a course I've never played before is for me to bring a caddy. And those are harder to find now nowadays, right? You, you go to a town that's got uh, a lot of college kids. There tends to be a lot of caddies. But if you can find a caddy that will play with you, the caddy does a couple of things to make your day successful. The first thing the caddy does is he figures out how good of a golfer you are, right? I'll never forget the first time I played at Muirfield Village, which is here in Columbus. It's where the Memorial Tournament is every year with Jack Nicholas. I had no business playing that course. A client invited me. I had no, I'm sure the caddy saw me and went, I can't believe this woman was invited to this for some. Okay. Did he say that? No. He, he spent a couple of holes with me and kind of figured out what I could and couldn't do and based his recommendations for the rest of the round based on that. He didn't say, oh, go get out your six iron because I don't think my six iron had ever had the cover off it in the entire year. Okay. So a caddy takes into account your own skill into account the course that he's been on hundreds of times and the conditions of that day and modifies his recommendations with every hole. And so that's really what great marketing should do. If you forget everything from today's class, I tell people you just need to remember three letters, T, T, A, test, track, adjust. Nice. That seems easy enough, right? Test, track, adjust. Okay. Well, Christy, I don't want to waste my marketing budget on testing. What if it doesn't work? Well, what if you put all of your marketing budget to testing and it does? Okay. There's a certain percentage of our marketing budget that we should always allocate to testing. For most people, depending on the total dollar amount, it's probably about 10 to 20%. Okay. And what do I mean by testing? Well, 10 years ago, there, were, there was no such thing as a promoted or boosted post, okay? We weren't boosting Instagram posts. We weren't boosting Facebook posts. We weren't sponsoring tweets. That stuff didn't exist. But the few dentists who came along and took it into consideration said, listen, I'm going to allocate 10% of my total budget to, to this test were very successful because they either figured out, A, it totally doesn't work in my practice because my average patient is 72 years old and they don't even know what Twitter is, okay? Or they found out it worked and they were able to adjust their budget accordingly. Test, track, adjust. Now, here's the other concept of testing, okay? Testing is not just about testing money. Checks are easy to write. Now, some of you are sitting there and you're kind of looking at your minimum monthly cash requirement for the business and it's... March 20th, and you're not quite there yet, so you're going, no, Christy, checks aren't easy to write this month. Sometimes that's true. But currency comes in two forms, time and money. Many of you, when you started practicing, had very, very little cash, but you had time available. So you went out and you did presentations in local schools, or you joined local organizations where you could network maybe the Chamber of Commerce. Now that you've been in practice for 20 years, you probably haven't been to a Chamber of Commerce meeting for five years or more. 
Now, that doesn't mean you go, don't get patience from there, but you have a limited amount of time. You've got kids, you've got church, you've got basketball commitments, all of these various things. When you look at your budget, first piece of advice for today, be realistic about your currency, both time and money. That varies over the course of your career. Many of my clients know in their heart of hearts that word of mouth is absolutely the most effective way to get a patient. But when they sit down and look at the time requirement it would take for them to double their word of mouth and go from 10 to 20 new patients a month in that particular tactic, they simply say, Christy, it's just easier to write the check to the postcard guy because I'm going to get 10 patients from the postcard and all I had to do was write the check. Okay. So when you test, be honest with yourself about time and money. Don't come back from a class and go, oh yeah, we're going to do these 17 things and then do two and say the tactic was a failure. Okay. In many cases, many marketing failures, like anything in life, are simply failures because we did not commit for the required time period. Okay. So we're going to be honest about time and money. Listen, guys, it's a myth that everybody's budget is the same. I am married to an accountant who has been working with dentists his entire career. He's older than me, so I can say that. Okay. And he always gives a recommendation that, you know, a percentage of your revenue should be allocated to marketing. And he's right. But I, I kind of believe in the Goldilocks rule of the budget. I don't want to spend too much. I don't want to spend too little. I want my spend to be just right. And because every practice has unique locations and demographics and insurance ramifications and time and currency requirements, everybody's budget is different. As we get through this webinar today, you'll also realize that one of the things that governs your budget is what a new patient is worth in your practice in the first year and beyond. Okay? So the first thing you have to figure out when you're trying to figure out what your budget should be and don't compare it to your colleagues, compare you to you, is what's your WOM or what's your word of mouth factor, okay? Seth Godin, who's like a genius in the marketing world, if you haven't read any of Seth Godin's stuff, read The Purple Cow, put it on your toilet, you can probably read it in a week in your bathroom at the office, okay? Seth Godin says, the secret to marketing success is no secret at all. Word of mouth is all that matters. And he's right. He's right. Many of us enjoy a tremendous amount of success in our practice simply because we get a sufficient number of new patients from word of mouth. What I hear from dentists is, well, Christy, it's erratic. You know, one month we'll get 20 and the next month we'll get five. Or one month we'll get seven and the next month we'll get 27. And there, there seems to be no pattern to it. So we can't count on it. We can't count on it as being a predictable way to fill the schedule. And my first piece of advice to them is to say, okay, well, what's your word of mouth factor? And everybody goes, what? Uh -huh. So it's really easy to calculate. The first thing you got to figure out is how many active patients do you have? Oh, this is a fun number, right? Do not look at your software. Your software is going to lie. Dentrix, EagleSoft, PatientBase, PracticeWorks, Open Dental. They're all going to say, I have X number of active patients. All that means is that you haven't inactivated them in the computer, okay? We have different definitions for active. Many of you think that it's 
I've seen them at least once in the last 12, 18, maybe even 24 months, okay? Let's say you have a thousand active patients. We'll make the math easy. Stuart, do you have a calculator handy? We're, we're gonna have yeah. everything into zeros. All right. Mm -hmm. So I, I've got a thousand active patients and then I looked at that whole year and I looked at how many patient referrals I had. So I got a hundred new patients in that same year from patient referrals. So this is just some basic division. What's a hundred divided by a thousand? Good question. Well, it's Probably 0.10, good. which is 10%, <laughs> right? That's easy. Okay. I didn't give you 67 over 2,342. No, 10%. All right. So that means that 10% of your active patient base is referring somebody annually. Well, what's the next question everybody wants to ask? Well, is that good? Like, how do I stack up compared to all my colleagues? As a general rule, if you've got an established practice, the nature of dentistry, the nature of healthcare, word of mouth driven business is that even if you're not doing anything to promote word of mouth, you probably have a 5% word of mouth factor. Okay. Now, clients who start to do a little bit more like, hey, Christy, every summer we have a patient appreciation event at the park. Or we've got somebody in the practice who goes out and delivers apple pies to all of our new patients to thank them for joining the practice. You guys have heard that before. Yeah. Okay? When you start to look at all these activities and then you go, wait a second, those guys get closer to 10% word of mouth. Okay? The most successful word of mouth factor I've ever seen was 27%. 27% of a very large practice, not 27% of a startup practice where there are only 50 new patients, okay? 27% of a very large practice were referring somebody once a year. And for them, that was enough for them to meet their new patient goals and replace the patients they lost to attrition and hit their production and collections, all the, the KPIs, the key performance indicators or metrics that we like to look at. So that's the first thing you got to figure out. And then say to yourself, can we change that? You may be surprised. Oh, only 2% of our patients are referring somebody once a year. Well, that seems like we could move that dial up. You may be pleasantly surprised that it's 12%. Hey, listen, Christy, we're doing something about once every quarter. We have about a 12% word of mouth factor. We still need maybe six or seven more new patients a month to hit our goals. Maybe word of mouth is not the best place to get them. Now, Word of mouth produces the best patient. It produces the best patient because the friend that referred them to you pre-qualifies them, answers all their questions, tells them you're the cat's meow. So by the time the patient gets to your website, looks at your Facebook page, looks at your Instagram, calls the practice, they've already been convinced. Their friend convinced them. So that's why we like word of mouth patients. They tend to have a high retention, high case acceptance. They tend to show up for their appointments and not flake out. Dentists like patients who are referred by other patients. Here's why they don't like them. Because it's unpredictable. And because if I'm trying to increase my word of mouth factor, do you think it's gonna take more time or more money? Definitely time, yes. Right, so sometimes we're not very patient no pun intended, if I, if I have to move my word of mouth factor, it's going to take 12 to 18 months to do it because you only see patients two to three times a year. Okay? You're not the coffee shop. You're not seeing people three, four, maybe seven times a week. So 
word of mouth is the best way to get a patient. Unfortunately for many of us, we're not patient enough to wait for them. So we have to look at other opportunities. All right. Now, the number of new patients you get every year is the worst way to measure whether your marketing is working or not. I'll say that again. The number of new patients that you get every year is the worst way to measure whether your marketing's working or not. Right? Okay. Okay. And everybody's kind of going, oh, now, yeah. I'm, now I'm paying attention. I'm putting down my Diet Coke. What's she talking about? Okay. So if I look at a practice, and I know a lot of you load all your referral sources into the computer, and, and usually what I find is, listen, there's a couple of main places people get patients, and then there's a bunch of other little things. Okay? This particular practice that we're looking at, they get about a third of their new patients from other patients. Hey, we just talked about them. That's, we like those kind of patients. That's good. And then they get another third from the internet, and then they get the rest, the remaining third, from all these other places. Okay? And, and that's informative. That's good for me to know, but it doesn't tell me anything about the effectiveness of my marketing. Why? Because I have to know what those patients turn into. Now, some of you practice in high-density metropolitan areas where the cost of rent and your overhead is higher and as such fees are higher. So when you look at what an average new patient is worth, this particular practice that we're looking at on the screen, I like to round up for simplicity. So for them, an average new patient in the first year is worth right around $3,000, okay? Now, if you practice in rural Kansas right now and a profi in your office is $52, you're going, that's insane. But your fees are different. So don't compare you to anybody else. Just know what the average production per new patient is. Why do I care about the other piece of data, an average production per existing patient? Well, if we're doing it right in marketing, we should pay to acquire the patient once. And then if they stay as a customer with us for years two, three, four, five, six, and seven, my acquisition cost in those years is zero. It's also important to look at those because for most of you, you believe in comprehensive treatment planning. That when a new patient comes in, we take a look and spend some time and get to know that patient, not just their teeth. And we tell them everything we see and we're comprehensive in our diagnosis and our treatment planning. And for many of those patients, it takes several years for them to work through that treatment. So when we look at the average revenue over time, that also tells us a little bit about case acceptance in our practice. Okay? Now, occasionally we see this is backwards. I met a client in the Midwest. That's vague enough, right? Mm -hmm. In the Midwest many years ago where a new patient was only worth about $400 in the first year, and an existing patient was worth about 1500 a year. I see, for most of us, we think, well, that's weird because, see, in my office, comps are worth more than periodics, FMXs are worth more than four bite wings, and I'm comprehensive in my treatment planning. We get people to say yes to a lot of stuff at the beginning. This particular office was flipped. New patients came in. Most of them were seen for an emergency. And then when they came back, that's when we told them in year two, three, and four, hey, this is all the other stuff that we see. 
So every practice is different. So know what a new patient is worth. Now, here's another practice. In this particular office, a new patient for them is worth about $1,600 and an existing patient worth about $1,200. Why does that math matter? Well, if I'm comparing me to me, and then I go into my dental software, and an average new patient was worth $1,600. You remember that, right, Stu? I've got that written down in front of me, 1,600 bucks, okay? And now I'm looking at this new patient summary, and I hear from people all the time, you know, Christy, patients we get on the internet, they're terrible patients, they're terrible. They don't show up, and they have all these questions, and they ask how much stuff costs, and, you know, our patients that come from patient referrals don't ask that kind of stuff. Why do you think that is? Because your friend already sold you to them. They've already made the decision that they're buying the car. Patients who found you on the internet were not referred by a friend. Now, online reviews and your digital presence do strongly influence that. But we hear this all the time. And then we start digging into the data. And look, lo and behold... In this particular practice, I'm looking for anybody that's over the average or less than the average. So there's a patient there, and he completed $1,200 worth of dentistry. Looks like he was first seen in October. He was last seen in November, and he's coming back in April. Fantastic. I like it. Then I've got a patient a couple lines down in that third column there. I can see that he had $13,000 treatment plan. Mm-hmm. And so far, he's done about 3,000 of it. Is that higher or lower than our average? Wow. It's higher. Okay? And, and then I kind of look and go, he came in in July, he came back in November, and he's coming back in January. So pretty good chance he's working through that treatment plan. So once you know the average revenue, you start to look at all the new patients you got, and very easily, you could do it with a red highlighter or a green highlighter who's above and who's below and then you start to look at do all the ones above the average have something in common are they all the same age did they all come from the same marketing tactic are they all in the same neighborhood are they all connected to a particular group that we belong to like hey if somebody comes from this particular uh church group, they're a lower revenue patient, but if somebody comes from our Chamber of Commerce group, they're a higher revenue patient. Most of the time, nobody ever spends any time doing this. But if you take a couple of hours, kind of the mystery of marketing is revealed. And I fly all the time, just like Stu does, and I tell people, yeah, this is exactly what my flight looked like on the way to San Antonio. <laughs> Isn't it what yours yeah. looked like, Stu, mm -hmm. right? Exactly. We had like a five-course dinner yes. and, you know, like yes. 27 inches of leg room and a 27-inch TV <laughs> and my personal stewardess, right? And you were, and you were wearing a silk blouse. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, okay, with my little vent control there. Uh -huh. and yeah. yeah. Nobody else is on the plane. You can't see them, right? <laughs> Maybe this is a private jet. Who knows? Okay. Uh, first class when you leave the United States is a whole nother experience. Okay. Um, most of us, when we fly, you know, kind of looks like this. Okay. And the people around us kind of look like this, like check out your facial expressions. There's one guy here that's smiling. There's one guy that's happy yeah. to be on that plane. Okay. 
And, and he's like, I just, I'm happy and I'm in a middle seat. I'm good. It's not even an exit row. Right? <laughs> Most of us look at our practice and say, all of our patients are the same. Christy, we love them all the same. And they're all, no one's any better than the other. And philosophically and emotionally and culturally and spiritually, I believe you. But when you look at it from a revenue standpoint, not everyone's treatment plan is the same. Not everyone's case acceptance is the same. So we've all heard of the Pareto principle, the 80-20 rule. 20% right? of your patients generate 80% of your revenue. 20% of your patients generate 80% of your problems. We hope that it's not the same 20%. Okay? Most practices, when they spend that couple of hours, you could even do it as a team meeting. You could print out your new patient report for the previous year with your highlighters there, who's higher or lower than the average. They start to find, wait, wait a second, our average is 1,500. Here's a 12,000. Here's a 9,000. Here's a 33,000. And when they start to do some digging, what they find is that in most comprehensive family practices, even when we start to get into comprehensive cosmetic practices, this principle still applies. So remember I said at the beginning, the number of patients is the worst way to measure marketing success. This is a much better way to help us understand what my marketing budget is or is not doing. So in this particular office, they've got about 75 new patients last year where they didn't do anything. How is that possible? How could I see 75 patients and not have them do anything? Well, do any of you do complimentary consultations or complimentary second opinions or free ortho consults or sure. Okay. And then there's 323 people. So between that 323 and 74, that's about half the pie. Half my new patients did less than $1,000. And that's, that's what I call insurance land. Okay? It's kind of like candy land without the fun cards and prizes. All right. And if you look, half of the patients represented less than 10% of the new patient production. And then I start to go to the other end of the spectrum and I go, wait a second, I've got 14 people. 14 people out of almost 700 who did $20,000 or more. And they represented about a fourth of the production. In fact, and I start to look at those pieces of the pie and put segments of them together. And I go, all right, anybody who did over five grand. So I've got 76 people that did between five and $10,000. I've got 32 people that did between 10 and 20 and that 14 that did 20,000. So let's do some quick math here. 98 and 14. Stu, you got your calculator handy? Mm -hmm. let's no. do it. It's one, 76 plus 32 plus 14. All of you have your iPhone calculators out. 76 plus 32 plus 14. Mm -hmm. 122 patients. So 122 new patients were responsible for, let's add these three numbers together. 22, 18, 22. Yeah. 63? That can't be right. <laughs> 22 and 22 62. is 64. 62. That's pretty close, okay? So I've got less than Wow. Hmm. 15% of my patients that's responsible for over 60% of the production. 
And so that is what I'm going to call my first class cabin. Now I was on the phone with a dear friend and client the other day, and we were talking about his first class cabin. And he said something very astute to me. And he said, listen, Christy, in the sedation world, the difference with your analogy here is that those people are only in first class once because they come and they see us for these big cases and then they are never to return. And that happens sometimes, right? You get people who end up needing fifty dollars or $60,000 worth of dentistry because they've ignored their teeth based on a fear and then they find someone who can put them to sleep and overcome that fear. And do you think they're going to be coming back on a regular basis for hygiene? Not unless you can put them to sleep, right? So he said, listen, in our first class cabin, a lot of those people, it's their once of a lifetime trip to New Zealand, and then we never see them again. So how can we build our marketing budget around that? And I say, well, they probably have friends who may have similar fears and may have similar conditions. So for some of you, your first class cabin are people who are returning over the course of many visits to accomplish that treatment. For others, high-end cosmetic sedation-based practices, that may be all in one shot. And I think that's an important point to recognize, especially for many of our members. What do you think, Stu? Yes, I do. Okay. So do you know who's in your first class cabin? Because for most people, it's less than 50 patients. Yeah. Huh. And you should be able to name them. And practices I've been to where we've gone through this exercise, do you know who's better at remembering the first class cabin than anybody else? The dental assistants. Because they spent the most time with them. The front desk doesn't remember. Hey, they might remember going, oh yeah, I remember Mr. Jones's $40,000 check, but they didn't see Mr. Jones or spend the amount of time that the assistants. So when we kind of talk about the stealth fighters in marketing, the administrative team kind of bears this tremendous responsibility. The doctor bears a tremendous responsibility. The stealth fighter in marketing is the assistant for the first class cabin. It's really kind of cool, okay? Now, that just didn't happen, okay? That practice didn't get hundreds of new patients and generate all that revenue um, by accident. So for many of you, you're actively engaged in marketing efforts, okay? And in this particular practice, they had some print advertising, both with the newspaper and direct mail. They had SEO, search engine optimization. Everybody saw the new Google algorithm update that came out last week, right? Mm. Pay-per-click advertising, those ads that we see at the top of Google and Yelp and AdRoll and all these various places, okay? Yellow Pages, yes, guys, people are still using Yellow Pages, believe it or not, okay? In some markets, they're very successful. In other markets, they're what we use as kindling to start fires in the canyon, all right? <laughs> Email marketing, radio, internal marketing, community involvement. So the first thing here is you really have to be realistic about what you spent. And I'm amazed at the number of people I talk to. Well, I think we spent about this. Well, if you don't know, who knows? And, and I'll tell you, it's usually pretty easy to figure out SEO and PPC and print because you wrote a check to somebody, right? perspective marketing, Google AdWords, whatever that happens to be, right? Okay? 
but when it comes to the internal marketing and community involvement, some of those expenses like get misallocated, like dental supplies, you know, stuff we ordered from the office. We had a, a patient appreciation event and that got miscategorized. So really try to keep track. If you're trying to grow your word of mouth, keeping track of what you spend on internal marketing and community involvement is pretty important. Okay. If you're not truly tracking the spend, I can't truly track your ROI. All right. Now, in that particular office, they spent uh, over $100,000. And for some of you, you may go, that's a lot of money. And others of you may say, uh, that's a third of what we spend. So again, don't compare your data to somebody else's data. Compare you to you. Okay? There are, however, some universal principles that we can apply. And they have to do with return on investment baselines. All right? There's only three ways to market. Now, you may say, Chrissy, there's a thousand ways. Well, they all kind of fall into one of these three categories. The first is interruption. You call that advertising. It's where the marketing itself is actually interrupting what the customer is doing to try to get them to pay attention to your ad. And yes, you're a dentist. And yes, I should call you. And yes, I should show up for my appointment. And yes, I should accept treatment. That's a lot of hurdles. So as a general rule, the return on investment is for every dollar I spend, I want at least $3 in production to come back to the practice. Okay. That's advertising, TV, radio, print, direct mail. All right. Okay. Okay. Permission. That's where the customer gives you permission to market to them. The greatest example of this is the internet. I go to Google looking for best female dentist in Shawnee, Kansas who is open Friday after four o'clock. Okay. Permission marketing, email marketing. Most of the people I know have Solution Reach, Demand Force, Lighthouse, some email marketing program in play, and they're really only using it to text and email appointment reminders. They don't use it at all to email patients, newsletters. It's a tremendous area of opportunity. You're already paying for it. Return on investment there for every dollar I spend in the internet, I want at least $10 to come back to the practice in production. And the last one's marketing with meaning, where the marketing itself enhances the life of the customer. So anything I do within the four walls of the practice from an internal standpoint, patient of the week, for example, anything I do in the community, some type of continuing education or an implant seminar where it's enhancing the life of the customer, I would expect a one to 20 return. So let's see if Stu's been paying attention. Okay. Which one is the best? <laughs> He's afraid this is a trick question. I am. I am afraid it's a trick question. Um, I mean, best in, in what way, Christy? I mean, I would definitely... If you only have a dollar to spend, if I'm yeah. going to put a dollar on the table, which one of those do you want me to match it with? Interruption, permission, or marketing with meaning? Marketing with meaning. Because you're going to get $20 back, right? Right. Why would you get three when you could get 20 back? I mean, nobody's going to do that. That's crazy. That goes back to the currency is time and money. Because marketing with meaning has the best return on investment but how quickly does it work? Right. Interruption marketing, worst return on investment. But I'm hungry, I eat now. Marketing with meaning is, if I'm hungry, 
I'm going to go out to the garden. It's, it's March 20th. My ground here in Ohio is still frozen. I can't plant any seeds yet. If I'm hungry now, I'm not going to be able to harvest from my garden until maybe September. So being hungry now is not going to serve me if marketing with meaning is my only choice, right? Right, right. Okay. And you don't, I mean, and Christy, you can't advise someone to, I mean, they have to be doing, is that a good word to use? Have to be doing all three? I mean, is that how it works or? Um, I'm afraid of have tos, but as a general rule, most successful practices with specific goals use a combination of all three. Okay. Right? In, in 2018, I would say this, Stu, many established practices, um, if there's one that they don't use, it's advertising. They're very successfully marketing on the internet. They're very successfully using marketing with meaning. They're getting tremendous return on investment and they're getting plenty of new patients. So they don't need advertising. Okay. Right? But then they bring in an associate and they need to get that associate busy fast. What do they then have to do? Then they have to advertise. Okay. All right. So at the end of all of that, now knowing that I know what an average new patient is worth, now knowing what I really spent, now knowing what that actually came back to the practice in production. And in this particular example, I took out all the people that we didn't do anything on. Okay. So I took out all those complimentary consults and things like that. So in this particular office, for 758 new patients, they did a million five in new patient production, which means an average new patient was worth 1989.50. Let's round up, let's call that 2000, okay? And in that office, they spent $112,748 on marketing. And all I do is divide that by the number of new patients they got, which means their cost per new patient was roughly 150 bucks. So I spent 150, I got back 2000. Is that a good investment? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Stu says, yes. My yes. husband, the accountant would say, it depends. Oh, okay, good. Dang That's it. Good. I Listen, <laughs> I went into math because there was always like an answer, like one plus one is two, right? There's no arguing like with your English professor. Well, the language of your essay did not really follow it. But one plus one is two. But listen, the longer you're in math, here's what you figure out. It does depend. Here's why. Stu, what if in the previous year, for every dollar they spent, they got $20 back in production? Mm. Oh, see? Remember, I said you've got to compare you to you. So if you've never looked at this before, this is the first time you're digging into your data, you've got your boots on up to your knees, you've got your waders on, you're looking like you're ready to go fishing in the river, you're really digging into that data and you've never looked at it before, based on the one to three, one to 10, one to 20, you can kind of say, yeah, I'm good or bad. But it really just is when you first look at it, okay? In this particular practice, in the previous year, if they had spent a dollar and gotten five back in the previous year, they're doing awesome. Right. They're doing almost three times as better. Now, how do you improve that? Okay. Well, the first way you improve it is you trim the fat. So a lot of times when we kind of segment this all out, 
and we go, okay, I spent $112,000 in marketing. And then we start to really pull out and we go, well, wait a second. 16 of that was in radio, 16,000, but I only got four patients from the radio. So that's probably 16,000 in fat I can trim. Oh, wait a second. I have to think through that. What revenue did those four patients generate? If we spent $16,730 on the radio and I generated a million dollars on those four patients, was that a good investment? Holy uh -huh. cow, it was, right? Okay. So you've got to also remember that you don't make assumptions. Nice. Sometimes people tell me, Christy, I hear this always works. First of all, avoid the words always and never. Rarely are they accurate. I had a client for many, many years in rural North Carolina that spent more money on the yellow pages than I had ever seen, but it also generated more than a half a million dollars in revenue annually. As at that time, very, very few people in their area had the internet. Everybody used the yellow pages, okay? If we look at the very bottom of this screen here, that's what this is really trying to drive home because you'll hear somebody say, oh, TV doesn't work. Oh, the newspaper is the greatest thing ever. Oh, Google is terrible. I can't rank for anything. Everybody has this anecdotal, emotional decision. Remember golf? They're giving you advice based on how they felt that day when they went out on the course, not on any data. So the data should tell the story. Don't make assumptions. Your own data can change. Look at your data and compare you to you. In this particular office, the flyers and direct mail pieces that they were sending out only generated 62 new patients. Now compared to the internet, which generated 173 new patients that year. You kind of look at that, and again, if we're measuring just number of people, well, the web's better. But if you look at the average patient revenue and what I spent to get them, direct mail for every dollar I spend, I've got nine coming back. The internet for every dollar I spend, I've got six coming back. Now, test, track, adjust. Test, track, adjust. So in this case, the solution is not, oh, well, that means I turn off the internet. The internet, guys, is not going away. What it probably means is that I need to tweak my digital funnel in some way. Am I getting enough traffic? Is that traffic converting? Is it sticking to my website? Do I have enough reviews? Am I getting people to fill out the form or call? What happens when I'm closed? All these different things that we can go through. Okay. Also remember that depending on the tactic, the conversion throughout the life of that patient usually follows the tactic they come from. Here's what I mean by that. So remember we said that interruption marketing has the lowest return on investment. It also, as a general rule, has the lowest conversion and case acceptance rate. So if I've got a TV spot and it's the greatest TV spot ever, just based on the nature of the marketing that it is, I'm going to get 10 calls and of those 10 calls, maybe five people are going to set an appointment, about half. And of those five that come in, about half are going to say yes to treatment. This is why people tell us all the time advertising stinks because it's the highest cost of entry, the lowest return on investment and the lowest conversion. Again, why do people use it? It 
feeds me now. If I'm maximizing my two other channels, that's the only other way to get patients. Radio and TV and print media are not the devil. They can be very, very effective. Where most dentists waste their money in that arena is the one and done. Oh, I tried that once. It didn't work. Okay. And you start to look at the conversion rates of others. Permission marketing, the conversion rate goes up to 70. Marketing with meaning goes up to 90. So in short order, at the end of the day, when we sit down and look at all this, what we're really trying to understand is, what's my budget supposed to be? And this is where we'll kind of wrap up and say, okay, so what? So what? Christy, you said that if I'm trying to make the most of my budget, I need to first understand what's my word of mouth factor and how many new patients I need to get and where they're coming from and what's the average revenue and where do I get those highs or lows and who's in my first class cabin and testing, tracking, and adjusting throughout the life of those campaigns. If I'm developing a budget for somebody from scratch, I just work in reverse. It's like addition and subtraction. So in this particular practice, a new patient's worth $950 in the first year. So if I project their return on investment, that means I'm willing to spend up to $315 for advertising to get a new patient. I'm willing to spend up to $94 on the internet to get a new patient. I'm willing to spend up to $47 on word of mouth. And so when you sit down and go, okay, listen, if I have to get 400 new patients to meet my goals and I'm going to get them all from advertising, my marketing budget is going to be $127,000. If I'm going to get 25% of them from the internet and the rest from word of mouth, my budget's going to be $23,000. That's like a $100,000 swing. It is because it depends on the mix of the tactic you use to acquire them. And so this is really easy math for you to go through yourself. If it's March 20th and you're now listening to this on April 17th or August 17th or December 29th, trying to figure out your budget for next year, the principle still applies. Just look at the data for a 12-month period. It doesn't have to be a neat and tidy year, January 1st to December 31st. Just look at 12 months in your practice. What's a new patient worth in 12 months? And then do the math in reverse. Right? Your marketing budget should be built for your unique practice, your unique patients, your unique demographic, your unique staff, your unique fees, your unique treatment offerings, and your goals, okay? Remember, don't compare you to anyone else but you. All right, Stu, do you think everybody's eyes have kind of glazed over from all the math? I hope not. This was good. I'm minor. <laughs> I'm just not good at math, so you've done very well explaining it. It was good. What, what Crown Council offices can do next? You have some action items uh, going forward, something like where to start, what to do. Well, listen, it's a great question because now we are armed with all this information. So what, right? It's what we call a so what meeting. So the first thing you've got to figure out is, do you know what you're spending? Like, really, do you really know? So call your accountant, 
okay? Or get into QuickBooks and get out your P&L and ask, all right, what did I spend on all these various areas? Some of you are spending more than others in certain areas. So be honest with yourself. One of the things we found out, and I have been working with this client for nine years, and we get the reports from their accountant, and we look at everything, and we go, oh yeah, the budget's in alignment. And then we went into a separate report and found out all the t-shirts we give away for the No Cavity Club were categorized as dental supplies. Guess how much we spent on t-shirts last year? $22,000. That's marketing. I've got to calculate that, okay? Dental supplies can't take the wrap. Second thing you got to figure out, what's a new patient worth in your office? Okay, super easy to calculate. New patient production divided by the number of new patients. All right, who's in your first class cabin? It's a fun exercise as a staff meeting to either print out your new patient summary or really just ask your team, hey, who do you name the top 20 cases we did in the last year and see if they can name them. Important point, your first class cabin isn't necessarily about revenue. It could also be about the number of patients someone has referred in the last 12 to 24 months, okay? Are you tracking your performance by channel or are you lumping it all into the same group? Well, lumping it all is a start, but tracking it by channel is how you can really clean it up and make those adjustments at least once a year. Those of you who are working with certain vendors, you're probably having, or you should be, having meetings with them on a regular basis. Uh, most of my clients meet with their digital team at least once a month, okay? The person who's in charge of their SEO and PPC, they're meeting with the social organization at least once a quarter, okay? They're evaluating that return on investment. And let's not evaluate success based on the number of new patients. Let's try to get to what's, for every dollar I spend, how much is coming back to the practice? That's app versus SAPAP. No, it's average production per patient versus cost per patient, okay? That is the only ratio we will do today. And finally, based on your goals and the growth that you're looking for, are you spending too much? Are you spending too little? Or are you right there in the Goldilocks? I'm spending just the right amount for what I'm trying to achieve, okay? Remember, test, track, adjust. Your practice is unique. Everyone's budget is not the same. And remember, the mix of tactics you're going to use is probably going to change over the course of your career. Hi. Very good. Christy, well done. There it is. I was just going to ask, will you tell, uh, will you give the Crown Council a bit of history or, or uh, elevator speech of what of what you do, what your business can do, or uh, if they want to reach out to you and connect or ask more questions, uh, how can you help Ground Council offices? If you're interested in having a longer conversation, call me, okay? You can send me an email, my dental CMO. CMO stands for Chief Marketing Officer. Charlie Martha Octopus, mydentalcmo at gmail.com. You can call me 614-655-1173. You can find me on the worldwide interweb at mydentalcmo.com. You can find me on Twitter. If you find me on Instagram, you're going to find dental offices, cupcakes, and cycling. It's good. And that's pretty much all that's on my Instagram account. 
CMO guys is a chief marketing officer. That's what I do for dentists. I'm not here to sell websites or sell print materials. I'm here to act as the chief marketing officer for your practice. Very cool. Christy, this has been so good. I'm so glad that we connected and uh, I'm thankful for you for sharing solutions. That is what a true resource partner in Crown Council does is um, we look for people who are willing to share solutions. And I'm just grateful you spend the time to do it. I know you're very busy and have a lot of clients to meet with. So thank you. I appreciate it. It's great to be here. And Stu, I will see you on the road sometime when the yes, weather's a little bit warmer. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Chris.